Hello, and welcome to the Nashville Sounding Board, the new podcast dedicated to discussing social and political issues in the Nashville community. I'm your host, Benjamin Eagles. I had the opportunity to sit down with council members Angie Henderson and Freddie O'Connell to record what turned out to be a really spirited, friendly, and intelligent debate about the transit plan. So I'm really excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's dive in. My guests today are Metro Council members Angie Henderson and Freddie O'Connell. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I don't know what you're doing to your listeners, Ben, inflicting me on them twice in (laughs) relatively rapid succession. Um, So first off, can you tell us what district you each represent and what part of town that district is in? Sure. I'll go first. I represent District 34, which is in southwest Nashville. It includes parts of Green Hills, parts of Bellevue, all of Forest Hills, and two-thirds of Oak Hill. And all the Warner Parks. <laughs> and I'm District 19, which is basically Nashville's urban core. It starts uh, in some ways in downtown, uh, represents the three great corridors of Music Row, Lower Broadway, and Jefferson Street, and goes into the urban neighborhoods of Edge Hill, Germantown, uh, Salem Town, Historic Buena Vista, uh, Hope Gardens, and then the Napier and Sudicum communities, as well as a lot of the uh, kind of more industrial and commercial section that's known as city side as you head out uh, Murfreesboro and Lafayette out towards Spence Lane. And it includes all of the Gulch as well and a healthy chunk of Midtown and a portion of uh, Vanderbilt University as it comes into Midtown. That's also Fisk University as you get over to the west end of Jefferson Street. What is the most important thing that people don't know about your background? Well, I would say perhaps that I uh, majored in something in college called Growth and Structure of Cities which was a liberal arts approach to history of urban form, history of architecture, urban sociology. And so, uh, you know, I tell folks that I actually use my college major every day in the work that I do. So most important thing is probably that actually transit and mobility issues are the thing that got me involved in civics in the first place. And in large part might be the reason that I own the house that I own and even ever ran for Metro Council in the first place. I I didn't own a car until I was 30, and the period leading up to that, I was actually car-free in Nashville for three and a half years, saved more money than I've ever saved in my life, and that resulted in the down payment on our house in Salem Town, which is what we chose because we needed to be near to uh, Meharry uh, uh, because we didn't have a car to get back and forth to and from campus or anything related to medical school when we got there. Very interesting. And what book are you guys reading? Do you have a recommendation? So I'm currently reading Human Transit by Jarrett Walker. Um, I've already read it once before, and I found myself in, you know, in with this conversation, kind of thinking like, oh, well, what was that? And not really recalling, frankly, having read it quite a while ago. So I have uh, tucked into that again, and I highly recommend it to everyone. I think it's very relevant to our transit conversation. I am reading uh, a, a more backward-looking Nashville-oriented book, uh, The Secrets of the Hopewell Box, which I would recommend to anybody who has ever known anyone in politics in Nashville or wants to think about both our political and racial history as a city. Uh, it's, it's really just kind of an amazing book. Fantastic. And how often do you each ride the bus? I ride the bus rarely. Um, I, my district is not served um, by MTA, except it kind of skirts the, the edge of my district. Uh, so I ride the bus for special occasions, like if I go downtown for the Cherry Blossom Festival or something, I have to, you know, it is, uh, I have to make an effort uh, to, to do it um, because it's not accessible um, to me at present. Sure. 
Yeah, it's interesting because District 19, interestingly enough, is actually the entire district is like a last mile. So I live on sort of the northern side of it. And if I'm trying to get, for instance, to Edge Hill, uh, just barely five miles away, it's frequently like an hour long uh, transit based commute just within the district, which is funny considering it's the urban core. Um, I'm down to kind of like Angie. I will use it strategically if I know that there is going to be a struggle for parking. Um, I take the circulator pretty often as I move around from the Gulch. Um, and now that it actually goes out to the HBCU corridor, it's even more accessible. But um, that's if I'm already kind of close to downtown or the route that it's on. Right. And I would like to make a point, Ben, that uh, in other cities that I've lived in, I've been a daily transit rider. So when I lived in San Francisco, I took the bus every single day. So um, I, I like to ride the bus. Um, I wish I could ride it more. So, so you have your I Voted sticker on, Freddie. <laughs> uh, I guess you were down at the Howard campus to vote. Can you each give an opening statement, in, including how you'll vote on the transit referendum? So I already voted, obviously. I voted for transit. Uh, and I'll speak to this very simply. Transit changed my life. It literally is the thing that allowed me to be car free. Uh, it allowed me to become a homeowner. Uh, it allowed me to experience what savings was like while I was debt free, having paid off student loans after college. Uh, and I am looking to let's move Nashville to offer that opportunity to as many other people. Transit will change lives. So I will be voting no. Um, and I do so very reluctantly, truly. I mean, I have been a transit advocate and, uh, uh, I, I don't want to be voting no, but I do feel uh, just uh, based on my research and understanding of the plan, um, mostly from a, a fiscal perspective, but also just, you know, return on investment of five corridors of light rail. Uh, I, I think we can do better. And so, you know, I'm not voting against transit. I'm, I'm voting against this plan. So I am a no. Got you. And what effect do you each think that this plan will have on traffic if it passes on May 1st? And also, in in light of how you're planning to vote, are you at all scared of being on the wrong side of such a high-stakes issue? So I think the, you know, solving traffic is, you know, a narrative that's compelling and has, has been advanced kind of in the, uh, in, in the marketing of this plan. Uh, but I think as it relates to traffic, it's more about, you know, it, it not getting any worse, right? And so, uh, you know, when you present people with a new option where they can orient their life to that transit. So as people move to our city, uh, to Freddie's point, you know, based on your stage of life, if I'm a young person moving to Nashville, um, I would very proactively choose um, to be on a high-frequency transit corridor and make my housing decision in that regard. So as we look forward, um, I think, uh, you know, having a comprehensive transit plan is essential. Um, but I think, you know, the implementation of five corridors of light rail and, uh, you know, what that will mean for now, the, the, the way in which we are laid out, right, um, our kind of sprawled uh, pattern, um, I do not think in, in the near term it will, you know, it's not going to fix traffic. Um, uh, proactively looking forward, I think it will be uh, helpful. And are you, and just to follow up, considering you're a no vote and if this fails on May 1st, May 2nd, we're still going to be stuck in traffic and undoubtedly Freddie is going to say, see, I told you so. The problem <laughs> is still bad. I told you we needed this. Are you at all scared of being on the wrong side? Um, 
I'm not. Um, I, I, I feel confident in my no. I'm, you know, I'm reluctant and not because uh, just in general, because I want to be supportive of transit. I believe we need dedicated funding for transit. Um, so it's not about that for me. It really just is about the plan. And um, I think whether we were to vote for this plan or against it, traffic will continue to get worse through the next 10 or 15 years. And so um, I don't I don't think that's really a, a, a fair kind of set up because, you know, it, it, it'll uh, either way uh, traffic is going to increase. Okay. Yeah, I mean. I think those are, are really two different questions, right? So the, I, I have never been somebody who's been out there promoting this plan or the idea of, of a significant investment in transit as a panacea for congestion, right? Nashville traffic is not going away. Um, this, but that is kind of the fundamental pitch in the advertisements and mailers. Yeah, I can't speak to that. I'm not really following what the campaign is doing on that Fair. front. It's, it's, a, it's certainly true that investing in this plan specifically will cause fewer people to need to be on the road. So there is a congestion mitigation effect built into it. I mean, mm -hmm. fewer than zero people that are, that would otherwise be driving will be taking transit trips when this plan is implemented. So those people will be reducing the number of cars on the road and they're thereby uh, mitigating congestion. But it's not like uh, that I'm not sure you could make an investment right now in Nashville that would ever get public support that would eliminate traffic and return us to an era where you can, within 15 minutes, traverse the entire city and find a parking spot for free in front of the place you're going. That's like we're just growing too quickly for that. Right. In terms of the fear, um, you know, I my fear is that the fear of being wrong is is really just uh, here. It's about if we vote no, then we know we're a year out from even being able to consider this, right? So that's another year that ticks by. This plan is based on all of the best policies that are that are present in Nashville Next and in Motion Both, and some of the ones from from Walk and Bike. Uh, so it's multimodal. It is specifically derived from the three plans that have the most public input ever in the city. So if we turn our backs on it, I'm happy to review the best plan that Angie has in her back pocket. I'm sure that she brought today, but we're not even going to be able to put it on the ballot for another year. And she and 35,000 of her closest friends are going to have to show up and, and demonstrate that it is better. So the point that I would make is uh, Nashville Next, In Motion, all that strategic planning, um, walk and bike hasn't gone anywhere, Right. And we, I think, as a council, are very proactively engaged to make sure that we are not just putting them on the shelf. In fact, this evening at 530, uh, our public works is having a specially called meeting um, on uh, walk and bike plan implementation. Um, and, you know, the in motion plan, as I read it, um, has a pretty good framework for what uh, our, our next pass at this could be. Um, so uh, I feel like all the good work uh, that has gone into this plan, uh, if it fails, is not lost. And it's incumbent upon us May 2nd to be right back at it and, and come back with a better plan uh, that we can get past. So I, I don't know if we'll get to this in the interview, but I'd love to know what that better plan is. Well, so we can go there now. What will be each of your next steps beginning on May 2nd if voters reject the plan? I'll be looking to Angie to show me her better plan. <laughs> so, you know, I, 
I think when folks say that, you know, I've um, on social media, colleagues, others, you know, have said like, well, okay, Counselor Henderson, you know, what's what's your plan? So I would then just point folks back to uh, in motion, right? We have a, um, you know, what what people voted for um, in scenario one was a comprehensive transit plan. Um, it wasn't scenario one was not the light rail plan that everybody voted for. And I think if our goals are uh, access, uh, multimodal mobility, um, there is plenty uh, in in motion and with the, you know, the work that was done uh, in the formation of this plan um, to come back and um, say, you know, let's take uh, a uh, less go big, go home approach. Um, I'm not suggesting that just, you know, one for one, every corridor that uh, is anticipated to be light rail in this plan should instead be BRT. Um, but, you know, that is that could be a first approach if you look if you were to look at it that way. Um, and or um, uh, for some of those corridors, maybe just rapid bus. I think what I have always asserted is I'm kind of a fundamentals first sort of a person. And I just think let's make our bus system truly excellent, right? The buses are attractive. There's sidewalks to get there. There's a transit shelter. You have signal priority. You have all door boarding. You have all these things that we're doing um, and, you know, uh, light synchronization, dedicated lanes where possible, um, because we know that's really uh, important. But uh, I just think that to be fiscally responsible um, with the debt load that we have now um, to, uh, you know, to me, it's just kind of bridge too far. You know, let, let's um, doing great work with our bus system now to make it more accessible, more frequent, uh, does not preclude 15, 20 years from now doing light rail, right? You can have a bold, long range vision, but that doesn't mean you have to do it all right now at once. And interestingly, that's exactly what Let's Move Nashville calls for. It calls for an immediate implementation of a frequent transit networks. And so let's be clear, Council Lady Henderson is certainly making the case that she is for transit. She's just for less transit. Uh, I'm in fact for more transit scenario, right? because you can get more transit. Scenario with bus one than called for a six billion dollar implementation that that had light rail front and center. So let's move Nashville is definitely based on that. It you know if you're saying for better bus, you don't get that with the other high capacity modes. If you're focusing on fundamentals, you're focusing on less transit and fewer modal diversity options that move people less efficiently. I disagree. I think uh, from a return on investment perspective. Light rail at a you know eight to ten times cost of bus, you could implement a network of uh, bus-based transit. Um, you know we don't we're sprawled, so we have kind of hub and spoke. We don't necessarily have a typical grid other than downtown, but you can do somewhat of a spider web approach, right? As you kind of grid out, um, I think we can give people more access, more frequency, a truly excellent system at less cost, and that's what I'm. So we'll, it will be interesting to have this discussion on May 2nd because state law currently restricts uh, bus rapid transit with dedicated lanes from being implemented on state roads without specific legislative approval. So, it, you know, I'd say I will wish you the best of luck on May 2nd. So, you know, that that was new to me um, in the last day or two. Um, you saw transit advocates starting to make mention of that. Interesting to me that that did not come up in the Committee of the Whole or in any other conversations uh, we had had uh, as a council. So um, uh, I probably should have done that research before I got here today. I know that that was specific to the AMP conversation. 
And so I'm not sure if that is for that particular corridor or for all of them, but I do intend to uh, research that. But I guess what I'm also pointing to is that while the pikes are key, it's not just about all the pikes, right? Because as you get further and further from the hub, there's less and less service for those folks who are in between. And so um, if you also look at in motion and what people were surveyed and answered, um, what just was way far and above as far as what people wanted was more crosstown connections. And, uh, you know, to Freddie's point, it's not that they're not crosstown connections in this, but they were much more robust as initially depicted um, with sort of that middle bus focus path, because simply you just, you know, there's more funds to uh, put into the bus system rather than just the sunk cost and debt that goes into the. Uh, and yet that's not the one that people participating in motion expressed a preference. For. Right. But in in motion, um, 9,000 people took that survey. So there's that. Um, and I think, uh, you know, despite best efforts, and I thought it was a, a, an excellent um, public engagement. So please let me say that. I think it was good work. Um, but, you know, often the people that come to the table are, uh, you know, the people that are uh, already engaged in this conversation, are already transit advocates, are already energized by, you know, light rail. If there are 9,000 tran transit advocates in the city, we're going to just be just fine on May 1st. Well, but what I would say is if you look at scenario one, scenario two, and scenario three, scenario three was status quo. No, you know, but if you look at scenario uh, two votes and scenario three, they far exceed scenario one. So, you know, for, uh, you know, proponents of the plan to sort of present that, oh, far and away, everybody voted for light rail. No, they voted for a comprehensive regional transit plan and not at a huge margin to scenario two and scenario three. And I think when you're talking to folks about something that is kind of hypothetical in the future, of course, folks are, you know, dream big. Let's go for the, the shiny. Uh, so, and you want to keep them from attaining it? No, I, in fact, I don't. Um, I am, again, for transit. I'm for dedicated funding for transit. Um, but I did not support this plan. That said, um, for my constituents who wanted to have a voice in this vote, um, I did not want to vote against them having their say. And thus, you know, that's really the perfect time for an abstention when you really are in a quandary like that. So I did abstain. Okay. So, Angie, you, you mentioned the hub-and-spoke system that we currently have versus the grid system of interconnected routes that improves transit ridership in other places across the country. I guess, Freddie, to what extent are you concerned that this model is still hub and spoke and feeds riders downtown where most of them don't work in order to then go out again to their destination? So probably the ways in which transit is complicated as a policy issue have to do with all the factors you just mentioned, right? It's it's where people want to go, anticipating that demand. Um, it's also land use. And that's one of the reasons why this actually being consistent with Nashville Next is important, right? People in Nashville were very clear about the fact that they wanted growth focused around the idea of centers, right? That they didn't, that generally, if you lived in a residential neighborhood, you wanted to protect your residential neighborhood. You didn't want to see much other than very low intensity infill development. That if that development was to occur, it was best on corridors and in centers, right? That was clearly expressed across in motion. So while Council Lady Henderson is exactly right that uh, crosstown service was important uh, to people as a priority as in motion uh, went underway and I think remains very valuable, 
this plan incorporates it. I mean, if you look in the, the very southeastern portion of the city, there's a pair of transit centers. They're connected by a crosstown route. That's the kind of stuff we can't do today. It's extremely difficult to build crosstown service when you're running buses hourly, which we frequently are on lesser ridership routes or after peak hours, right? So I think one of the most important parts of this plan that supports the crosstown service that is built into it uh, is the fact that we are building the frequency necessary to support that. I think overall though, it, I mean, that's the thing. Trying to serve the entire county so that everybody can take transit as a mode as if they were driving point to point is impossible. That's why cars cost so much. That's why the right-of-way that support cars cost so much is because it is expensive to build a fully dynamic point-to-point -point distributed system. That said, Steve Bland, just like I am, is a huge supporter of the idea of a distributed network for transit rather than one that is hub and spoke. This actually moves us in that direction. It's very difficult, though, to move away from a scenario. I wouldn't want to have a transit system that didn't have downtown as a focus because we generate more tax revenue out of downtown. The, the productive return on land downtown in the urban core exceeds that of any other part of the county, even those that are intelligently designed, such as Lenox Village, right? I mean, the, the just overall productive capacity of these centers in Nashville next are going to be so extraordinary comparative to the rest of the county that's lower intensity that people are going to want the transit to serve those areas. And we've tried running buses when I was on the National NTA board. The most controversial routes were the ones that ran through the hearts of residential neighborhoods on streets that were you know, barely arterial, right? So you've got to keep the transit if it is, in fact, you know, traditional bus-based on the corridors. Well, I guess what I would what I would say in response to that is I know that you know you can't make your bus system so you know diffuse that you know your ridership and it just doesn't make sense. And then you look at the hours that you're running. Um, but I guess you know what I am asserting is that, and I concur as it relates to Nashville Next and uh, our, our land use pattern that we have said we want to concentrate development on our corridor um, and in our centers. But in support of that and um, using that as a framework, I still think as I look at this plan, it is lacking um, in in the bus space because, you know, what we have had up to this point is a grossly underfunded transit system such that, you know, we only run the bus every 45 minutes or every hour and nobody can plan a, a work life or anything uh, around those. I did uh, it. It's hard, but it's it, possible. It's difficult. It is so very So don't say nobody because it's indeed. possible. Good point, point made. It is very difficult. Um, and so, you know, what you often have then from a ridership perspective is um, folks who, for whom, you know, they have either made the choice not to have a car or they do not have a car. They, they must ride. And so our choice ridership over the years has been very low because we don't have the appropriate frequency. And certainly uh, transit and land use are inextricably related. Um, and, uh, and I understand that, but I, I also feel that based on um, the foundation of Nashville Next, our current land use pattern, we can do a more excellent and robust bus system, uh, serve more people more functionally with more frequency. And that does not preclude in the future, um, you know, going on up to, to light rail once that light ridership and density grows. Sure. And so, Freddie, Angie has suggested basically that we would have benefited from building out our bus system to a greater extent 
trying to increase the utilization of the bus system before moving to light rail. And along those lines, I kind of have a theory that are largely empty buses as I drive around the city and look and look at the buses. So they're underutilized. Be real careful with the broad brush here because, again, as somebody who sat for seven years on the National MTA Board of Directors and reviewed passenger trip data for every single route in the city, we had standing room only numbers on a, a variety of routes. So some of it is just, you know, ANIC data is not as hard as the real passenger trip data. We saw for that seven year period that I was on the board, ridership growth outpaced population growth. When we added service, we watched our ridership density they actually have. increase. They have. Well, that's kind of to Angie's point that where the service has increased along Galton Pike, along Nolensville Pike, that the ridership has gone up substantially. Correct. And so. I'm speaking more of the voter experience and that anecdotal data of looking at a bus and seeing four or five people on a bus that seats 45 or 50 and people are saying we need to spend $5.4 billion. And so I'm wondering if, to Angie's point, if politically speaking, that was a mistake. That, it, that, it's, mean, that light rail is less palatable if you don't build out the bus system first. I don't think so. And I think that's, if anything, the argument of watching our population growth grow less than our passenger growth speaks to how exciting this plan actually is, right? If, if we offer these multiple modes in parts of the city that have never seen them and we start to see the truly livable communities that are walkable and have live work play built into the corridors and the centers that Nashville Next has not just prescribed but interpreted from the the general public of Nashville, it's it's gonna be a huge win overall. Right? I mean this is where we get to see ridership in the entire system become more vibrant. I don't know what the political answer you're looking for is, but the reality of Nashville MTA's system is when we have invested in transit, ridership has grown. As a perspective of people who talk to me about this, this friends and, you know, we'll drive somewhere and there are four people on a bus yeah. and that bus is then serving as a and rolling billboard bus, for transit failure. It was probably not at a peak hour. It was probably not serving a route that went end to end where people wanted to go because the routes make all the difference. When we added, when we basically increased the frequency on West End to anticipate the amp, right? That was where we saw ridership growth when we did yeah. it on Gallatin. Well, that, that's kind of my point, though, is like the routes can't be every half hour and have four people on them or else they'll be perceived unfairly as a service we don't need. Right. And that's that why if, a frequent if it transit is, network is one of the most crucial elements of this plan. Well, I totally agree. But Angie's point is that we should have done that first. Build, uh, help build so the this, culture. If you want to talk to me about a fr frustration that I have right now, it's that Steve Bland, the CEO of MTA, brought to the InMotion Steering Committee the lowest hanging pieces of fruit to start implementing the frequent transit network this year. It was actually in Nashville MTA's budget request, and I amended the capital spending plan to try to ensure that we would build it this year so that people actually got a sample of what a frequent transit network was. Right. Guess what got shot down? My amendment. Well, who shot it down? Metro Finance. Because we can't general bond our way to a transit system. I don't disagree with them, but that was a one shot, basically shot in the arm to try to start the real conversation around transit, knowing that we probably had some kind of plan for securing dedicated funding coming down the road. It's here now. We should have done this. We didn't. I do think that's a mistake. Sure.
So, um, you know, I, I think what we've seen with the extension of, say, the Music City Circulator, um, I believe, into your district, right, up towards uh, Fisk and... Uh, Two and beyond. And TSU. And so, uh, you know, ridership on that um, is has been great, right, because you provide a more frequent, um, enjoyable service to folks. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's functional for them. I thought what was interesting at the Committee of the Whole, or rather... I guess it was a public hearing um, for whether or not to put transit on the referendum. Um, you definitely had your folks who were kind of motivated by kind of anecdata, um, what you were alluding to, kind of the political environment of, you know, the buses are always empty. I had those folks. Um, and, you know, I would say you're kind of, you know, no tax for tracks folks are, are more in, in that camp. But you also had folks who are daily transit riders for whom the bus system is essential to, you know, their, the, the functionality of their, their life and their needs Mm -hmm. also there at the podium saying, don't pass this plan. And so, you know, I think that's an interesting dynamic. I I think, uh, you know, when you have folks who are, uh, regular transit riders, um, saying that they don't support this plan, that concerns me. Um, So you're overweighting the folks that showed a public hearing to me. When I was a transit-dependent person myself in Nashville for three and a half years, and I'm for the plan. So, un- understood. And, I, th- I mean, I think there are, you know, people who are um, uh, transit riders that support it and uh, people that aren't transit riders, you know. And so, I think often it, it, it is related to your geography. You know, where are you? Is that service going to touch you um, with this plan? Um, and if you're a regular transit rider and you don't feel you have sufficient service and you haven't seen a new transit line that's going to reach you, then likely uh, you are opposed. Um, but I do still strongly feel that uh, with dedicated funding for a more uh, robust and frequent bus network that we can serve more people um, more equitably um, and give them more access. So you've mentioned that you are a supporter of dedicated funding. I am. A lot of advocates of this transit plan have said that what we're voting on May 1st is dedicated funding. If that were true, um, I would be voting for this plan, but that's not in fact. Even in the absence of a plan, you'd vote for the funding? Well, no. I guess I'm just saying on that assertion that, you know, all you're voting for is dedicated funding. We need to just, you know, we just need to secure that dedicated funding and we'll work everything out on the back end. Um, I, I don't think that's true um, through my reading and what the law director in response to us in committee of the whole. If we vote for this plan, we are committed to implementing five corridors of light rail. And the flexibility comes in, oh, is the train stop here? Is it there? Um, oh, once we got into this, actually, we don't have the you know available right away and some, some modifications in that regard. But um, so, uh, you know, it, it's not just, and I, so I think, you know, part of the uh, advocacy for the plan is kind of like, okay, well, there's people who support dedicated funding, and there's people who really like the bus piece, or there's people who really like, uh, you know, the, the uh, transit, neighborhood transit centers. So, you know, taking each of those is sort of a different line of marketing or platform, um, and appealing to folks like, oh, well, if you're for dedicated funding, then you need to be for this plan. Or if you're for, you know, some uh, great bus improvements right out of the box, then you need to be for this plan. And you can't just compartmentalize one aspect of it. It is everything. It's dedicated funding and the plan that is attached to it. That's why I'm in it. So a question for you, Freddie. 
considering the community engagement process that had 17,000 people involved in in-motion planning, the 130-plus organizations and businesses that have endorsed the plan, and another 30,000 people who signed a very generally worded petition for transit, why isn't this referendum a slam dunk? Because to Council Lady Henderson's point, everybody in the city, when you have the opportunity to actually consider a specific plan, has the same experience I had. It's not my plan. Surely there's a better thing because I have raised a concern and there's a concern in there. And my plan, I know, is better. And surely I can get 50,000 people to support my plan because it's just a little bit better. It does something just a little different. Everybody that looked at this plan had that same reaction first. And so initially you were against it, is that right? Initially I was highly skeptical because there were pieces that were just straight up unknown. My greatest frustration as the guy anticipating running to represent the urban core with In Motion was the gray box that was left over downtown. Mm -hmm. And that gray box was there in part because of the complications around how to get surface street transit in and through downtown that arose when we had the conversation about the amp. That was a part of the MTA board uh, discussion that I was really interested to see how we were going to solve it in motion. And instead, in motion kicked the can. So when I saw a tunnel, I was like, what? But then I started looking at why a tunnel was in the plan and why it's actually fundamentally important to move in and through downtown uh, if you're going to do high capacity transit. And if we only do traditional bus space, you're still going to have extraordinary on-time performance issues as downtown continues to grow and as the city continues to grow if we do this without actually some kind of more distributed network. So, you know, the reason it's not a slam dunk is... Everybody looks at it, finds something that they don't like about it, like the housing advocacy community. And they have a legitimate concern that the Transit and Affordability Task Force was convened, produced some recommendations, and then, as far as I can tell, disbanded. There are those of us on council that continue to work very hard to that. Including Councilman Mendez. Including Councilman Mendez, who has a a critically important uh, set of recommendations for the Donaldson Transit-Oriented Development District which I hope are fully supported by both MDHA and planning and ultimately council as we go to vote on it. I'm very optimistic about that. And then that will serve as a template, but every, every single constituency from those who are not specifically served by any, any transit route, like uh, councilman Rosenberg, who I know is publicly against this plan where I think that literally let's move Nashville. I know in motion literally didn't put anything into his council district. I'm pretty sure let's move Nashville is consistent with that. So I understand that. That's a hard thing to make the argument to, for yourself or someone else that this is good for the city, even though it is not directly serving my self-interest, right, in, in some tangible way. The other thing is there is a strong and powerful opposition, largely funded by outsiders and very wealthy Nashville people whose self-interest is specifically opposed to this. Lee Beeman is one of the principal ones. He has a car dealership. And that and he, his opposition to the AMP was such that he managed to actually create that piece of legislation that restricted our ability to do bus rapid transit on state routes. Sure. So, Angie, I guess a question for you. Um, both you and Freddie have been leaders in the push for better walk-bike infrastructure in Nashville. What do you make of the decision to pitch the transit plan in part as a vote for sidewalks? And we've seen this recently in Transit for Nashville TV ads featuring the Preds, for instance. Right. I think, again, it's just looking at these various constituencies 
And so, you know, folks who might have some heartburn about the light rail or the tunnel or from a fiscal perspective, but they know uh, fundamentally that Nashville needs more sidewalks, right? That is something that touches almost everyone. So I think, you know, just from a marketing perspective, it's like, okay, well, you know, if you're a little concerned about the light rail, you know, don't, don't, don't worry about this over here. Hey, sidewalks. Uh, you know, most of my questions in um, the Committee of the Whole um, were related to the funding in the plan for sidewalks, which by my math wasn't going to build a lot of sidewalks. Um, and looking at the cost that we understand from Metro Public Works is the average cost per linear foot uh, without right-of-way acquisition being $599 and extrapolating that over the, uh, you know, 26 miles of, um, and, you know, the guy from HDR was like, huh, you make a good point. We really have only looked at concrete costs. We haven't really dug into that um, from a cost perspective. Um, that's going to come later. Um, you know, so what I would say to folks is, you know, when you commit to this plan with five quarters of light rail and the debt structure that you are setting up, when there are um, invariably, even though there are contingencies, I understand, Freddie, um, in, in that cost, when you get the, uh, the overages, as inevitably will happen in these major infrastructure projects, like what are, what are they going to cut first? The sidewalks, the bus service. And so, um, you know, from my perspective, again, I'm just a fundamentals first sort of a person. Um, let's enhance the sidewalk network. Let's make a robust bus system. You know, how are we going to fund traffic calming in our neighborhoods? When people think about this issue, right, which is advanced as solving our traffic problem, we recognize that this was a pivotal moment um, in Nashville from a growth perspective, right, because people were starting to feel some pain. In, in the traffic space, you know, the 15-minute the city became the 30-minute city and so forth. So, you know, when you talk to people about, you know, why we need this plan at that neighborhood level of traffic is backed up on the corridors. So um, people are cutting through my neighborhood. I would like to take the bus, but I can't safely walk there. All those issues, um, those are things that really, uh, I think, are foundational and so, um, you know, you and I both are, are working um, on walk and bike implementation and trying to to get that. But again, I feel that if we don't do our foundational basics to the extent that we are able through dedicated funding for uh, bus and the ancillary related sidewalks, you know, make sidewalks more robust in this plan. Um, you can do that if you're not doing five corridors of light rail, um, you know, have sidewalks uh, to support the bus. That can be done through this plan. And I guess I would just assert that we need more of that because we're 60 years behind on our infrastructure that would support transit. That's just- I, I, I will just hint at a little bit of irony for being the lead sponsor of the sidewalks bill, which actually reduced the necessity of Metro committing dollars to sidewalks, that that's the pitch. But Well, know. We have to hit it from all angles because we are 60 years behind. So we need the development community to engage more in building infrastructure. We, I mean, the the reason we are in the, pro, you know, the problem that we are in now is that, you know, 50, 60 years ago, we stopped building for people on foot, people taking streetcars. We built our city around streetcars and um, pedestrians. And then we were all enamored of our cars and we sprawled out and you can see the line today of where it stopped. 
And then we just built, we built for the car. And so because we're six decades behind, uh, we need uh, dedicated funding. We need policy approaches. We need parking policy. We need land use. We, we need to hit it from all angles. So to play the other side, you're basically saying we're 60 years behind on sidewalks and therefore we need massive investments to up our sidewalk infrastructure. Freddie is basically taking the side we're 60 years behind on mass transit and that's why we need massive investments in light rail. Is that fair to say? Well, not just light rail. We need massive investments across the board. Light, ma- light rail. Sure, is- but that's the one part of the program that she doesn't agree with. Is that true? So... At present, I don't I think that light rail is the best investment in time. I think uh, with increased density, um, it, it, it could be. But um, yeah, primarily so now. This plan doesn't even start to deliver light rail well until well into the 2020s. So we're going to get there in time. So, but is that fair to, to kind of create an analogy where Freddie has taken the side that we're 60 years behind on mass transit and let's move Nashville is basically an all-in approach, as former Mayor Barry described it. Go big or go home. We have to do this. Is that fair to say for, for both of you? I just I feel like if we uh, are all in for bus, mm-hmm. that gives uh, more opportunity to do the supporting infrastructure uh, for that bus network, which in time could become a light rail network. But if we go all in for light rail on these five corridors with, you know, I, I don't see the sidewalk uh, component of it penciling out. Um, I feel like with, uh, you know, the investment there, the potential overages that gets cut back. Um, and then we are then resting solely on um, the, the new sidewalk policy that we, uh, that we passed because we can't, we can't do it all through that policy. It's important um, and it's necessary. But uh, I just think that, you know, if the pitch to you, I think, which was the initial question, is the sidewalks piece, um, uh, you know, I, I would assert that by going go big, go home in light rail, um, that, that, that doesn't get you the sidewalks, you know. Two thoughts. One, the other piece that I amended the capital spending plan for last year unsuccessfully was for full funding of the recommended $5 million additional that should have supported Nashville Walk and Bike, which had just been released uh, prior to the budget cycle. Uh, Again, unsuccessful. The other is that Walk Bike Nashville is one of the strongest supporters of Let's Move Nashville. So our local bike pet advocacy group is very strongly for the plan. Right. And you and I, though, both, Freddie, advocated for putting three more million dollars into the core bike network. And I advocated for that. And we passed that in this budget um, because Alta Planning, who had done our Walk and Bike strategic plan, did uh, go ahead and come up with a core bikeable network. And I absolutely think that we should invest in uh, bikeable infrastructure. When you go all light rail, you just, uh, in my view, are, are not going to have enough kind of bandwidth and <laughs> financially to be, you know, kind of building out um, a network um, that is more comprehensive and will reach more people through bike, greenway, sidewalk, bus, etc. Okay. And so now, if we can, I know you both, it seems like each of you wants to distance yourself a little bit from a lot of the outspoken and visible campaigners on each on each side but could you give listeners your biggest regret about how your side of the transit debate has campaigned so you know to be frank i wouldn't really put myself on a side i know i mean obviously i'm i'm voting no 
Um, but I've always kind of staked my claim in council on being, you know, an independent critical thinker. And so, you know, I, I am not really motivated by either um, uh, campaign. I think it's gotten, you know, uh, pretty polarized. And so uh, I just I, I'm just <laughs> kind of look, look at the facts, read the plan. I don't really have any regrets or commentary on that because I'm not affiliated with either of them. I really am just trying as a public servant um, to do my best to do my research, um, think uh, near term, think long term um, and, uh, you know, make the decision that I feel is best uh, for my constituents, but also for all in Nashville. I regret that I can't be for this plan, but I don't really want to comment on uh, you know, kind of either side's approach um, because they are just their their marketing campaigns. I think I'm in full agreement, Council Lady Henderson. Here on the, I'm not. You know, ultimately there are kind of two core organizations out there rallying people to support or oppose. I think what we're kind of suggesting is we're not deeply connected. Um, I mean, do, do either of us, either right? Do either of us sometimes have our words taken and used by, <laughs> by either side? Sure. I mean, we're both public figures and, and that, that certainly happens. I think though, as a council member trying to do the best job of representing my constituents and also deliver the policy, I will say, I think a mistake that was made by the administration in preparing this plan was a lack of council engagement. Absolutely. I concur with that. But that's not specifically a campaign regret. That's more about, all right, if the administration finds this to be an important policy proposal for the city, probably good to go ahead and actually engage council and specifically engage them around transit policy, which Councilor Henderson might be able to speak to this. I don't know if they ever scheduled briefings about the policy. No. I think, you know, we all um, as council members were, uh, you know, engaged in, in motion um, and, and what followed. And then, you know, we understood that, you know, the administration was going to, you know, come up with their plan. And I want to say, you know, how much I respect the mayor's team, Erin, uh, who you had on, uh, Mary Beth Eichard, mm-hmm. um, you know, they do good work and I, I respect them very much. But from just an administration approach, right, it was kind of like they went dark and we knew that it was in the works. And then in December, bam, there it is. And it's go big, go home. There is no plan B. You're all in. You're either, you know, for us or against us. And it was really, you know. And so um, at that juncture, if you take that approach, how can you have substantive dialogue? So at the point that you start rolling out the Let's Move Nashville plan and the administration goes, uh, you know, to uh, West Nashville to the police precinct. I had a Bellevue Middle School meeting. You know, I'm out there. I'm kind of conveying some of my concerns to uh, HDR, uh, to the director of public works, to the administration. I'm listening to what my constituents are saying. What I would have liked to have seen the administration do um, is when they formulated their plan, which I, I don't dispute was based on emotion, but then was their internal decision for that, that plan to then, you know, take it back to the community, you know, say, what are the concerns in the affordable housing space? What are those concerns? And then potentially, before it gets pushed through as a bill, say, can we make this better? Can we work together? So to that point, I know there are specific things that I had criticisms of, of an early draft of the plan that I saw, mostly because my curiosity and persistence 
got me in the door, but that's not because they sought to brief. And I think to, to counsel Lady Henderson's point here, if I don't know that even half of the council has had the opportunity to review with Aaron or somebody in that office on a policy basis, why this is good policy. Mm -hmm. uh, from a policy perspective, it was my curiosity, level of interest and enthusiasm in, in moving something based on in motion to the public that led me to have several conversations with Aaron specifically. That's how I got comfortable with this as a policymaker, as a representative of my community. If that didn't happen across the board, yeah, that's a regret. And an additional question, what is your biggest frustration with how the issues are being understood by people who are voting the other way? Um, so I guess I would say, and, and some people uh, with whom I speak, that they are still very much at that superficial level of, I'm for transit. And so just, you know, philosophically, they're bike ped advocates. You know, they've lived in other cities where they take transit. Sure, I'm for transit. And, and that sort of speaks to really the initial rollout, right? Um, we were invited as council members to events where, you know, there was a petition signing, you know, show up, say you're for transit. I'm like, I'm not showing up at those events because I haven't even seen the plan yet. So, you know, so when you have people signing the petition that they're for transit, it was I'm for a transit plan and, you know, funding for it or something to that extent. And so I think there are still a lot of people. I think that's changing <laughs> as of these last few days. Um, but there are still a lot of people who are just operating up kind of at that at that superficial level who have not really dug into the plan, read it front to back, looked at the financials on page 50, um, looked at, you know, the, the WPLN questions, um, uh, you know, so for those people that are voting for, um, you know, I would say you can be a transit advocate, you can be a bike ped advocate and be critical of this plan and choose to vote now. But you think the people voting no have systematically done that work in ways that the people voting for have not? No, I don't believe that they have either. Um, and so, but the question to me was sure, um, yeah. for those people on on the opposite end of the spectrum. But ab absolutely right, um, um, and and I think that's what happens when uh, you know it it really is just kind of a, a, a marketing campaign. So I, I think it's incumbent upon everybody before they go to the polls to really make sure uh, that you understand the plan um, and that you have read the actual plan. I I am asking. Questions. I am challenging some assumptions. I am asking people to look at some other alternatives and at other cities um, so that they have a good, informed frame of reference with which to make a vote. If I have some you know, disappointment in how the opposition has campaigned, it's been that the willingness to engage in scare tactics mm -hmm. has reached the level that they prefer actually not to have accountability to the point that a an op-ed was signed with a pen name and, and in it's uh, fraudulently. Uh, right. right. And basically that they intentionally defrauded the Tennesseans editorial board, mm -hmm. right? They intentionally misled them just so that they could run this op-ed. Similarly, Jeff Obafemi Carr uh, was called out in the Tennessee Tennessee Tribune had to effectively uh, speak to the fact that they allowed an ad to run in their publication that used fraudulent numbers, right? So, I think that's really problematic. It, it's very hard, though. I mean, right? The stakes are high here. This is a significant investment. There are 
people for whom the status quo is extremely profitable and they have a vested interest in maintaining that or who perceive the status quo as furthering their self-interest. And that's a big deal. And there are Similarly, also people for whom, right? right? There are but also people for <laughs> whom plan passing, they have a, that's a correct. People, interest. people stand to gain from the status quo. People stand to gain from advancing to a, a better mobility future. And each of those respective sets of parties has put substantial resources into this. I do think the opposition has now publicly caused local publications to wind up with egg on their face in a way that's bad for good faith public conversations. It's bad for trust in institutions, which we know is declining nationally. And that's a problem. Yeah. Scare tactics are just, you know, on, on either side. I mean, I think, you know, the, the scare tactic on the the pro campaign is, you know, it'll be 10 years before we, you know, we have to do, you know. But that's, so, that is not, that is agreed, speculative. Agreed. And I'm right. really sensitive to the way space. that both sidesism actually detracts from the ability to truly yes. criticize the things that are, are bad about our public dialogue. Agreed. So, Ferdy, you, you spent a lot of time there giving some strong critiques of the opposing campaign. I guess what I'm more interested in is speak to a voter who might be listening and is leaning no, may have already voted during the early voting against it. What did they get wrong? Like what pieces are you most frustrated that the message didn't get through to that voter? They So here's the, the interesting thing about this being a referendum. It's reality that this plan and any transit plan will not serve all Nashvillians equally well. Dave Rosenberg is going to be hard-pressed to be served well by a transit plan in the same way that, for instance, I am living close to the urban core. It's just a reality of a large metropolitan government that serves an entire city and county. I don't know that everybody who goes in and votes no gets it wrong from the standpoint of, does this further my self-interest? The only thing that I would look at is it's kind of like the public schools model. I think most people understand that even if they don't ever send their children to public schools, or they're empty nesters, or they move into a community where the school is failing, that that's actually bad for the city. Right now, it's bad for the city that we impose a surcharge of several thousand dollars worth of annual car ownership, maintenance, and insurance in order to exist in the city as a function of our cost of housing and living, right? I think if you if there is anything that you might have gotten wrong, it's that we have a mobility crisis right now that is easily as stark as our housing crisis, and housing advocates have conveniently ignored that. Okay, and so I think this has been a great dialogue today. I want to give each of you maybe 30 seconds or a minute, just give a final pitch to people. So um, I guess I would just encourage people to uh, read the plan, um, ask all your questions, and um, you know make sure to kind of you know go deep. You know, don't just stay at the superficial level. Um, and I would encourage folks, you know, even though they are you know pro transit, pro sidewalk, really do look at this um, within a fiscal framework and a return on investment from a debt standpoint, um, from a you know tax surcharge standpoint. You know, if we take our 
you know, dedicated funding up to that level. We cross that 10% threshold. You know, what does that mean for other goals that we have as a city long range? Um, what does our debt uh, structure mean for us long range um, to the uh, to other goals of this city? So, you know, look at the plan itself, but also look at it in the larger uh, context of, uh, you know, good fiscal management and the other priorities of the city um, around, uh, you know, affordable housing, transit, schools, uh, and all those things. Unicorns are wonderful modes of transit. Uh, when the Improve Act passed, giving us the opportunity to secure dedicated funding, I thought I was going to catch one. Instead, what I found was a plan based on Nashville Next, In Motion, and Nashville Walk and Bike uh, that really offers an extraordinary leap forward for the city in being able to move and experience both mobility freedom and economic freedom in ways that Nashvilleians have yet to enjoy. Uh, this plan is based on an extraordinary amount of public input, and if you are for transit, it deserves your vote. All right, well, thanks so much for both of you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. As a quick note, if you're enjoying the Nashville Sounding Board, please leave a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app or your app of choice. 